It's really interesting to hear somebody that's coming with such a different cultural landscape, man. I mean, when I was growing up, I mean, I looked over my shoulder left and right and there weren't no other black people with me. I mean, it was a trip. I always embraced being individual. I was always the freak on the block. Joining the Dots is a podcast that paints a picture of the now. We sit down with artists, writers, musicians, DJs, producers and filmmakers from a new and diverse generation. People creating culture in their own image. Thank you for downloading Joining the Dots. Joining the Dots is brought to you by Spaces in Between. Pick up your copy of the beautiful Spaces in Between magazine in your local size store. That's 100 pages of print goodness. Subscribe to Joining the Dots at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Cosima is a 23-year-old vocalist from Peckham, South London's rapidly changing inner-city manor. Cosima makes beautiful, soulful music that defies expectations and confounds easy categories, especially for a young mixed-race girl from Peckham. Signed to noble independent label Island Records, Cosima sits at the heart of a musical heritage that reaches from the Caribbean to London via Germany and beyond. We sat down together at my home in West London and spoke about where we have been, where we are now, and where we just might go. I'm Don Letts, and welcome to Joining the Dots, a series of podcasts where I meet a generation of people creating culture in their own image. It's a constellation of stories that cuts across time, space, and genres. First thing I want to know is, how old are you? 23. So you were like sperm when punk rock was happening. And your blood, where's your, you know, where's your blood from? Um, my mum is German with like a bit of Moroccan that got mixed in to the family during the Second World War. Um, and my dad is half Cuban, half Italian. Definite culture clash going on there. Yeah. I mean, my parents are both from Jamaica and they were that whole, part of that whole um, Windrush thing. Yeah. They came over in the 50s. I guess I should declare I'm as old as rock and roll. I was born in 1956. And you know what? I wouldn't have it any other way. I've got to tell you, because from my perspective, musically, I've, I've kind of had the, the best of the musical journey of the last 50, 60 years. Yeah. And I've still got a foot in the door. I mean, what are the things that got you into the whole thing? I think, funnily enough, like I've always been very curious about music. When I was in year six, I was home educated for a year. And in that year, I didn't really do any studying. I just read a lot. And I used to go to Peckham Library and I used to borrow CDs based on the car. And I remember I borrowed an Ella Fitzgerald CD. And I was like, okay, something's really cool is going on here. And then I borrowed a Billy Holiday scene. I didn't get it. I got it after. But I think sometimes you have to experience things to understand like the emotions that singers are kind of expressing. And then I, from there, it literally snowboarded. It was like Judy Garland, Sammy Davis Jr. Like, and then I just went through all kind of like Nancy Wilson, all the kind of great, really expressive singers. And I really connected to that. And I used to do impersonations. And then as I discovered more and more, this whole world of expression that opened up to me. And then even I remember like discovering punk for me was like, whoa. Like for me, it was just this kind of- What version of punk did you discover? I'm curious. I was also really into watching films. I was like really obsessed with like consuming as much as possible. And I remember watching Rude Boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember watching that. I mean, like, I really liked something about this. Because I think, for me as well, it was kind of being from where I was from. Like, I grew up in Peckham. But it was kind of, I was looking for an expression of where I was from. But in a way that I could understand. Like, in a way that wasn't necessarily, like... When you say where you were from, what was, where did you think you were from? 
I was just like a girl from in the state in Peckham, so I was just kind of very. But did you identify as British? Identified as British and specifically as London, because I think London is, can be anything. It's kind of there's so many people that settled here and built lives here. It's kind of being from London, you take in all of those different things, you take in those relationships. I think it's so different to my upbringing because when I was growing up, I'm literally first generation British-born black, and I guess that kind of rolls off the tongue now, right? Yeah. But back then, trust me, confusing concept. Because yeah. there weren't no real social experiment for, you know, what was going on. And I'd say that, you know, I didn't feel comfortable with the whole black and British thing until much later. I'm talking about, like, maybe late 80s when Soul to Soul came on the scene. Yeah. But before that, black and British, I didn't know what it was. I mean, you know, for a while we kind of looked to America, but we obviously weren't American. We looked to Jamaica, and we were of Jamaica, but we weren't Jamaican. You know what I mean? So it took a real long time and it was really through, I guess, music that I've, you know, finally found some kind of identity that I felt comfortable with. Incidentally, when you were growing up, you said you were listening to all this old, much older stuff. Was there any contemporary stuff at that time when you were young that was turning you on? Once I discovered that, there was so much of that to find that I almost switched off from what was happening at the time. And I was very, like, my, my grandma's German. In summer, I'd go to Germany and they had MTV. We didn't have MTV here. So I remember I would just... So I didn't really listen to contemporary music, but music videos. All around, yeah. I used to, like, consume them. But then I think as well, in that, that was, like, very heavy, like, gangster, gangster rap period. And as a girl, I was like, I can't see myself in the setting and I don't want to see myself in the setting because I'm not being respected here. And it took me a long time to come back to rap, like, figure out what's profits and stuff and be like, oh, shit, like, there is a version of rap that right. I can engage that ain't with. Right, macho shit. Yeah, 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 tell me about it. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember just being like, ugh. I tell you, I'm having a, such a hard time relating to your point of entry. Because I was there when rap started in 80, 81, and then evolved into all the gangster rap stuff. And, and I'm just literally trying to get my head around. I mean, you were saying you came in and MTV was all around you. I was there for the birth of MTV. Yeah. I tell you a funny thing about MTV. So I'm making all the videos for The Clash, right? I get a phone call from MTV. And they're like, oh, Don Lex, you make the videos for The Clash. Come in, we want to do an interview. So I go into MTV. This is, a uh, thing 80 or 81. And they're all looking at me funny. I'm like, what the shit? Do I smell or something? Anyway, I get ushered into this small room. And this guy comes down and says, listen, Don, this is really embarrassing. But we can't do the interview at this time. And I'm like, why? What's the problem? We didn't realise you were black. And the guy told me that to my goddamn face. Tommy, because you're black. Because what a lot of people don't know, when MTV first started, and this isn't urban myth, this is fact, they literally did not show, as policy, any black videos. They only started to show black videos when CBS threatened to pull all their catalogue if they didn't show Michael Jackson's Billie Jean. But before that, MTV was built on kind of right-wing white videos. Well, they weren't right-wing white videos, but their policy was almost like a a, a right-wing thing. And I think Bowie was famously took out a page ad in the New York Times railing against it. But nobody talks about that now. Well, I guess MTV doesn't really want to big that up. One of the things in the 21st century that bother me is it doesn't seem that individuality is celebrated anymore. It seems like people are much happier to be part of a pack or part of a herd. Mm. I mean, is that just my distance, my age or whatever? No, I think individuality is marketed, but it's not celebrated. So it's like an idea of it. It's like, oh, like we can all wear these jeans together and we're going to be individual. But it's like you literally just went into the shop and you just bought ripped jeans. Like I remember I used to work in Levi's and these girls used to come in and be like, oh, like, do you have ripped jeans? I was like, no, we don't, but we have like a sales table. Like all you need to do is go home, get some sandpaper, get like whatever, and just fuck up the jeans in your way. Because I remember when I was in school, like my mom, like we didn't get like loads of new clothes. I remember once like 
by the end of it, my jeans had ripped like under the bum in both places. So I like just put on leopard print tights underneath. And all the other girls in the class like cutting up their jeans. I was like, these are ripped because I can't get new ones. So I've worked it out. But it's kind of, it's very, it's like this kind of like packaged version of what it is to be individual. And you stamp it all out. Listen, I'm of a generation. If I went home and I ripped my jeans, fuck it, cut it. <laughs> Hold that thought. Hold that thought. Ripped jeans, right? Anna, answer the goddamn door. Hello? Who's it? Come in. You're listening to Joining the Dots, brought to you by Spaces in Between, in association with Size. Delivery, a book. Hey. It's a book. Are we rolling? Yeah. Now I just had to pick up a delivery look. It's a book. It's called For the Love of London. Oh, that's and I wrote a, wrote a page or a couple of pages for this book because. I don't like like you. I'm London-born and bred. And I've got to tell you, ultimately, I do. For, with all the good and bad, I do love this city. I've yeah. got to say, I'm very much a product of it. I've been around the world a few times, and ultimately, I always want to come back here. And I think ultimately, it's driven by its creativity, which, from my perspective, is driven by the whole multicultural thing. Yeah, do you know what I mean. I think that's what makes it, that's what makes this city exciting. And I actually think that it's by embracing the whole multicultural thing that will make this country great again. Not this Brexit shit. Yeah. Don't get me started on the politics. Where were we? Ripped clothes. Ripped jeans. If I went home in ripped clothes, my parents would beat me. Would beat me, I tell you. I jokingly tell tourists nowadays that I'm what London looks like. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. I do feel that this whole multicultural thing really excites me. It's been driven through music and culture. And I've seen music and culture do more for bringing people together than politics, school or religion. And then out of this mix comes all this creativity. And that's what makes this city great. It ain't green sleeves. It ain't the goddamn queen. It ain't even the Beatles. Enough respect because I was a big fan. <laughs> but it's, it's all this creativity that comes out of this cultural exchange that is really driven by understanding our differences. Exactly. If that and makes any accepting sense. accepting and celebrating them. Yeah. I think something for me that's changed is the space to be creative. It's like in, say for example, like in Westway to the World and you're talking about squats. There are like young people now, we don't necessarily have places where we can do that, where we can not think about money all the time. You know what? I'm so glad you mentioned that because I... You know, sometimes when I'm doing talks and things and it's not such a relaxed situation, I, I kind of rail against the youth for being conservative and all the rest of it and not being angry enough. But then, in all honesty, they can't afford to be creative. They can't afford to be rebellious because 24-7 is all about paying the rent and surviving. Yeah. I mean, how creative or rebellious are you going to be if you're living with your goddamn mum and she's doing your washing up? The economic situation, particularly in London, has had a detrimental fact on the creativity Absolutely. of this city and especially of the young people. And we've got to address that because when I walk around London now, all I see is chrome and glass and a city that's screaming, if you ain't got no money fuck, fuck off. you yeah and I do wonder how far that's going to go because, you know, all the people that help to run this city, they're kind of getting pushed to the outskirts. And all they're doing is coming in and servicing the well-heeled. And they can't join the party. Yeah. And, and I'm wondering at what point are they going to put their hands up and say, I'm as mad as hell and I ain't going to take this shit no more. Because I think for a long time, for me as well, it's like, what's the point when you actually just say, fuck you, we can't afford this, but we're going to be angry in a different way. And it's almost like... Can I put my hand up yeah. and say, London, we're past the breaking point. Yeah. Because... Way past it. I think we've been past it the whole of the 21st century. 
century. I mean, look at how they've treated young people and all the things that they're chipping away. And I don't want to get too political here, but we're talking politics with a small p here. Yeah. It's things that affect me and you directly and the man on the street. The yeah. Big P politics, I'll leave that to the next man. But, you know, yeah, people have got to get off their asses and get involved, man, and take control of their lives. That's why punk happened. But punk came out of social, economic and political crisis. You know, lucky for me, I had the whole reggae thing to kind of ease my pain and express myself. But yeah. my white mates weren't so lucky. So they came up with this soundtrack that was relevant to their situation, of the people, for the people, by the people. And it changed their lives, because before that, it was a bit like, what was my, my brethren, Johnny Rotten, yeah, as he was known then. He did this song, uh, Anarchy, No Future. And it really felt like you had no future unless you did something about it. And I guess what really came out of that whole thing was um, the whole DIY thing, do it exactly. yourself. Exactly, yeah. Which I actually see elements of all around me, right through to grime. Yeah. You know what I mean? I guess the one good thing about the 21st century is affordable technology and the digital age, which is kind of a double-edged sword. Yeah. Because it seems to me that if you do have a good idea and you're motivated, you can actually express yourself. It almost feels like technology's evolved at a more, a, a more rapid pace than human beings have. For me now, when I'm researching for music videos, mm. I can't just go online and look at images because then I'm just going online and copying images that I'm seeing. Like, I have to take it outside of the computer first. Like, I need to go to a reference library and I need to look at work. I need to go to an art gallery. I need to actually watch the film. Cross-reference it. Because you have, exactly. Yeah, you, and it's yeah. like, you now have the technology to do it, but it's almost like, even education hasn't evolved. Like, instead of sitting in front of a fucking computer teaching kids how to make a spreadsheet, teach them how to find what they need to, and like, to, empower And to identify them. the truth. Exactly, because now it's, it's like this big thing that's so exciting if you know how to apply things and how to use it, but also overwhelming if you don't, if you don't have someone who's... And also I think the other thing is that people got to bring people back into the mix. Yeah. You know, this thing of sitting on your own with your laptop or your computer at home, don't really cut it for me. I mean, the thing about computers is this, they're great facilitators of ideas, but they don't have ideas. And the biggest problem with a computer is it can't tell you when an idea is shit. You need a, a human being for that. You need to have the conversation yeah you chemistry yeah what interests me as well because like you obviously making videos in a time like different to mine like how how does someone like you get into that that's a good question because i'll tell you one thing the idea of a black man being a film director or getting into film when i was growing up ridiculous my sort of gateway into an alternative world happened, like a seminal moment. I'm at school and this rumor goes around, I'm 14 years old. Some band is playing at the Young Vic in Waterloo. So me and my brethren are like, all right, and white brethren, I've got to say, I was, when I was at Archbishop Tennyson for three years, I was the only black man there. That's crazy. Oh, we're talking about character building stuff. So we go to the Young Vic to see this band. Turns out it's The Who. Do you know who The Who are? Yes, I do. Well, The Who, the, Ben and The Who now, different things. Anyway, it's the goddamn who doing a full production rehearsal. That means dry ice, lasers, Townsend doing the windmills. And I'm 14 feet away from these guys. And that was it. Fucked my whole life. Because that from that moment, kind of just showed me a gateway to another world that wasn't previously available to me and still wasn't. That's what music did for me. And I tell you what, though, from that moment till this, music has never let me down. Never let me down. You're listening to Joining the Dots, brought to you by Spaces in Between, in association with Size. What were the 
music, other than the kind of Ella Fitzgeralds and people like that, I'm curious to know from white music, I'm going to ask you straight up, I yeah. don't know how else to put it to keep it simple, what was grabbing your attention, if anything? Because for my generation, certainly people like Norman Jays and Jazzy Bs and Goldies and Daddy Gs, a lot of what gave us our identity was the fact that we had this whole black thing going on, which was kind of obvious and there. Yeah. But, you know, we were listening to the likes of Bowie and the Beatles and the Stones and as well, and we're kind of hip to some of this stuff, you know, actually yeah. like some of it. And it very much informed what we did. Was that the same for you? I remember in school people would be like, oh, obviously being mixed race, you always have the kind of like, oh, what are you anyway? What side do you choose? It's like, I opt for both sides because they're both within me. And people would be like, oh, like you only listen to white people music. But this is referring to jazz. And I was <laughs> like, who the fuck told you that jazz was white people music? Because that's a lie. I listen to a lot of country. Like, I love country. Chris Christopherson, I'm like, you write the kinds of songs that make me want to get out of bed in the morning. Hey, you, you got to talk to old Jamaicans about country and western because my parents' generation loved that shit. And even me, it's I grew everything. up with things like Jim Reeves. On my jukebox today, I've still got a couple of Patsy Cline tracks. And I love it. It's so emotive. I mean, if you're going to do heartbreak songs and love songs and songs about your dead dog, country and western's a way to go. You know what I mean? It really is. And, and storytelling and narrative. That is the narrative and it's the it's taking but in a really simple way where it's just like you listen to it you take in the lyric and you're like Sunday is the fucking loneliest day I know that every Sunday I feel that like yes it's right it's true for me like color was never a big thing because I look at my mom I love my mom she does everything for me I look at pictures of my dad yeah I look like him so I wasn't really aware of the fact that I was a specific thing until someone was like why don't you want to color yourself in and I'm like because I just don't want to. And she's like, well, this is your moment. crayon. I'm yeah. like, fuck you, I don't want your crayon. Like, I want my identity. And I think from when I was young, I've always had that kind of... So for me with music, it was always just like, if I like it, I love it. it. And I don't care if it's like a Turkish woman singing. I mean, my or... thing is I don't even want to be defined by my colour. And in fact, the people that I've always, I've always gravitated to are the people that aren't defined by their colour, that don't have to prove they're black will be part of yeah. the herd. Like the Sun Ra's, like Jimi Hendrix, like Prince. You know exactly. What I mean? And that for me was always, it was kind of like, it's the voice, it's the story, it's the emotion. If you can't tell me an emotion with your voice, I'm not going to identify with you just because you look like me. And I don't have to. Funny enough, speaking about imitation, you know, people don't realise that some of the greatest things that have happened in music and rock and roll or whatever you, you want to call it, have happened by mistakes. You know, they don't realise when the Beatles first started or not so much the Beatles, but maybe the Stones and Led Zeppelin. They were actually trying to sound like the American Black Axe. Yeah. And they couldn't do it and they got it wrong, but they came up with something else. And that's half the evolution and half the story of modern pop music. I mean, reggae, I mean, reggae is based, the whole basing is a big part of my life. I mean, I'm obviously of Jamaican descent, because I had that coming in one here when I was growing up. But then I'd also hear things like, I don't know, my white mates are listening to Captain Beefheart and The Cream and Led Zeppelin. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I don't know, those big guitar riffs, man, they kind of spoke. I don't know why, I can't, I can't vocalise it, I can't explain it. All I know is it spoke to me. I remember the first time I heard, like, Planet Caravan by Black Sabbath. I was yeah. like, fuck, all I want to do for the rest of my life is pretend I'm a Black Sabbath. And, yeah. and I think I think there is something about rock and roll like at its purest form where you just... Yeah, when it's good. I mean, there's a lot of rubbish out there. But yeah. There's a lot of rubbish black music too. You know what I mean? Let's be honest about it. And I really strongly identify with my black side because I mean it's here like it's it's not going anywhere you yeah, can it's see obvious. it yeah it's obvious you don't need and to go around proving it yeah yeah so for me it was kind of like I always was gonna do something that was soulful because I don't make music unless I have to I don't write a song if I don't have something I, I need it. to say yeah. like and 
But then there is always, as you kind of go in session sometimes, it's kind of like, oh, like you must like this, this and this. It's like, why don't I tell you what I like and we can work from there? Because that way it's not just kind of like, I saw a picture of you, you look like this, yeah. let's make this. Like my brother, for example, he really, really connects to grime. For me being like a young mixed race woman is very different for him being like a young black man. Cause I, like he got arrested for no reason the other day. So he is a young black man. Like that is what he is seen as by kind of other people. And for him in grime, he sees something where he can be like I identify with that like that's something these boys come from the same place as me and I can connect with that and I think that's enough for me to be like cool this is cool and this is doing something for someone that I love and I care about but then I guess for me it is like when do you get to be allowed to be black or mixed race and not have to just be you as opposed to just be black exactly where's the no there's a tendency for for things you know I guess it's easy for the industry to sell things that fit into boxes it's as simple as that and you know the, the examples of people that have broken those parameters the princes the Jimi Hendrix they're few and far between and I guess they're less comfortable with stuff like that when in fact they should be picking up those people and celebrating them putting them on pedestals because we need people that are about breaking down barriers not playing up to them you know what I mean grime it feels like a punk rock thing to me great platform but they don't want to be limited by the whole macho braggadocious stuff you know I mean it's a great platform to start bringing in other elements and I think actually right now it's starting to get interesting because I'm hearing different subject matter I'm hearing some melody in there you know what I mean to counterpoint I, I do get fed up with people shouting at me all day long and also i'm a bit more in touch with my feminine side i, I want to bring a bit more femininity into the whole thing you know for me it's really interesting because obviously like when i was like reading like a stormzy interview the day where these where these boys come from like i come from the same place like i come from the same background the same economic background if i'm a statistic i'm the same statistic as them because there will be another girl like me who is also from an estate somewhere who doesn't necessarily think like she doesn't necessarily look at patty smith and think fuck yeah i can do that too i can go out i can write poetry i can say fuck you i can do whatever the hell i want she won't necessarily think that but unless there's other women who are there for them to see and to see themselves in who aren't just doing the one thing which is cool but there's other ways of being a young woman there's other ways of being like a young black woman there's other ways of being a young person I think it's really important that we have those people visible because otherwise how the fuck are you going to get inspired and how are you going to get the next round of girls or the next round of boys who are going to kick down doors You're listening to Joining the Dots Brought to you by Spaces in Between, in association with Size. Another thing you said about growing up in Peckham and da da da, and I'm thinking, that ain't the Peckham I know. When I was growing up, policemen, postmen would not deliver in Peckham. Me and my sister used to watch people burning cars outside of the window. We used to have, like, you know, when neighbors come and, like, someone gets stabbed outside because everyone's arguing about shit. We live, like, just around the corner from North Peckham Estate. It's so interesting to see how it's changed so much because, like, I remember even when I was like 15, I was like, I'm not coming home from the bus stop unless someone gets me. I'm really interested. It's really interesting that you say that because you mentioned word stabbing. I'll tell you one thing, back then when I was growing up, who the enemy was was very clear. There was no chance of going out and getting killed by your own brethren. And that in the 21st century has really done my head in. Say for example, even just on an estate, like you have poor white people, you have poor black people, you have poor Muslim people, you have everybody and we're all kind of sitting here. But instead of being like, okay, this is shit for all of us. How do we uplift each other together? It's like, well, actually, uh, I'm gonna this my is happening. Exactly. Or like, this is what's what happened to me. So therefore my pain is worse than your pain. But the bottom line is we're all in fucking pain. So Listen, how do we stop that? Back in the mid seventies, when I was in the dole queue, 
There weren't no one queue for the white people and one queue for black people. We were in the same queue. And that's why I say we knew who the enemy was. Those last big riots where they were mashing up their own place. I mean, what the hell? You know what I mean? I mean, there's too much information for people to be that ignorant these days. I mean, that's what your laptop and your computers are for. Never mind how many hits and likes and bullshit you got. I'm going back to the technology thing, but amazing thing, but fucking wasted, man. Brown thing's a weird one, because back in the day, we were into our certain, you know, I'm a black man, I like looking good, you know? And we were into brands back then, even in you know the skinhead days, and I'm talking about the fashion version, not the fascist version. You know, we liked our Prince of Wales checks and Ben Sherman shirts. So the brand thing's always been there. Even some of my films in the last 10 years have been funded by brands, and I really had to double check myself, because as an old school guy that's coming from punk rock, working with a brand is a bit like sucking the devil's dick. But I had to really check my relationship with the brands, and it seems to me that working with brands is almost a more honest relationship than working with record companies, forgive me guys, and TV stations, because they hit the brands. They're kind of, what is it they call it? Cool by association. Where they'll fund my work, and they'll say, okay, we don't want our logo all over it. We just want to be associated with you. And that kind of freedom I don't get from TV stations or record companies. How do you think Michelangelo afforded the paint to paint the Sistine Chapel? You know what I mean? So that relationship's there, and I think it's down to the artist whether he can maintain his integrity within that relationship. Jack Island is a brand now, I'd see, and I wouldn't call Island brand, man. It's got lineage, it's got heritage. heritage. It does. It's, it's not, it's run, it was, you know, it, it started by a man called Chris Blackwell, who I love, who had a lot of passion, who cared. It wasn't about taking money off people and making them stupid. It was about the upliftment of people through culture and music. You know, I wouldn't be standing before you today if it wasn't for people like Bob Marley. I mean, Bob was always going to make his way, but Chris helped facilitate that. The, the, the idea of Island as a brand, yeah, doesn't work for me. I mean, Cosmo, what was it like to be signed to a label that has all this cultural heritage? I think for me, it was like, I love Jimmy Cliff. Like, Many Rivers Across is like a family song. And... She makes me cry every time I hear me it. Me too. I cry every time, every fucking time. And in fact, seeing Arda Day come is what made me want to make, become a filmmaker. But tell us, yeah, signing to Ireland, tell me, what was it like? That for me is just so special. It's funny because I remember after I signed, like, I'd have like some like privilege like friends being like I can't believe you like you would sign to a major label and I thought well you know what it's actually really interesting because in London obviously money is a big thing if you don't have natural resources somebody somewhere is gonna have to help you exist in a way where you can actually really focus your creativity because even like when I talk to my mom she's like loads of people go on the doll and you work it out and you make your art and that isn't something that exists anymore yeah, yeah. and I think so for me it was kind of like I want to be somewhere one, like my now manager, who was my a at the time, where somebody actually cares about the person. And now... It's called artist development. Exactly. And I was given like an amazing period of time to really like be rebellious sometimes, to be like, fuck you all, I'm going to go and I'm going to be Black Sabbath. And to go and to try that and see what that feels like. To really experiment and to become an artist and to become the kind of artist who can say, no, I'm directing this video. And now I have a product manager and we sit down together and I'm like, I want to direct, like I want to do this. And she's like, cool, then we're going to find your DOP and we're going to work this out. And I think that when more labels start doing that and giving people the authority over themselves because I think especially as a woman who's taken in so much like damaging imagery and who's had to really undo so much kind of what's a woman what does a woman look like what does a woman do what does a woman sound like to undo all of that like I don't just want to undo it and then give it to some other girl like no I want to put women into the world how I see them and how I'm kind of how I want them to see themselves so for me it's been really special and like unusual thing it's so, true because it's funny I'm thinking oh man it was hard growing up as a black man in predominantly a white world in the 70s but as a black artist and a 
the female artist, it's going to be doubly difficult for you. So if you're like one, then already if, if someone else has even seen like three other like girls who look like you somewhere, it's like, oh, there's so many of you. How does that feel? And you're like, well, there's literally like so many black guys making music. How do they feel? I don't know. They all collaborate with each other. So they must feel cool about that. It's really because for me, it's always been like an expression. And obviously I've decided like you don't sign to a record label unless you're like, I want to make a career of this. And I think it's really important to be open about that. You want to connect with a lot of people and you want a lot of people to see your art. And I think for me, if I want to do that, then I want to do it in a way where I can empower other black girls, but also other girls, other people, other boys, other whoever. Because I basically work as a DIY artist. Like if I do artwork, my artwork is me at a scanner, like putting it in. If they need it changed, if they're like, I've like fucked up the specs, then I need to reprint everything out and rescan it all in. And for me, that was really important because even within a big structure, I want to be the kind of person where what I do comes from my hands. It's you. Exactly. Yeah. You're listening to Joining the Dots, brought to you by Spaces in Between, in association with Size. I was gonna say, when I first started making videos, and I've made nearly 400 in my time, it was really early days, so I was left alone to do what I wanted. And then as years progressed, and as MTV came into the picture, all of a sudden there's choreographers and stylists and all this stuff. What equipment like were you using at the very beginning? <clears throat> the only medium that was available back then, which was Super 8. Oh wow. And dig this, That's... best training I ever had. I never went to film school, never read the manual, but each roll of film is three minutes long. The processing costs 20 pounds. Now, 20 pounds in the mid 70s is like 500 pounds now. So think about it. I mean, I really thought about what I was doing. In other words, the price kind of kept me on track. Do you know what I mean? It was the best training I ever had. I mean, it made me come to the conclusion that art was better when shit cost more. Do you know what I mean? Because it kind of weeded out all the people that were just having a go. You know, you mm. really wanted to do this thing. You know, I remember people like Joe Strummer, you know, if he wanted to get a guitar, he'd have to work, steal, borrow, and he'd get a guitar. Then you'd have to do the whole thing again to get an amp. Mm. By the time my man's been through that process, trust me, he really wanted to play that guitar. Now, you get 500 quid, you get a computer, you can have a go at all these things, but just because you can afford it, I don't think that means you can can do it ultimately you still got to have a good idea you know i feel like in terms of equipment everything is more available than ever yeah. like you can literally go on ebay thing. which is it should technically it should like, like democratize the whole yeah. thing but funnily enough it's even like, like my friends who are like interning in fashion like everything it's like you have all of this stuff but because again it really comes down to the cost of everything and the like just the sheer amount of money that you need to have just to exist in London, there's a certain type of person who gets to be the most creative. And I think there is always like people like Byron who were very privileged and who made incredible things. Like it doesn't really matter where you're from, but it does matter where you're from when you're from somewhere and that means that it's more difficult for you to even scratch the surface or even be invited into the room. Because I think it's always been like that. It's always been difficult. And I think that's even like with punk, that's what makes it so fucking exciting. It's like, even for me, like I was many years too late, but when I discovered it, I was like, oh shit, I can do stuff. Like I can say stuff and I can be angry. And maybe my anger isn't, doesn't sound like that, but I'm allowed to express it. And there's a way I can do that. It's funny you said it, because it's almost like the ease with which 
everyone can do stuff now and get stuff has kind of taken away a bit of the pain and the struggle. And from my perspective, that pain and struggle was actually part of the creative process. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That passion, you know, because in a weird way, the digital age, as much as it's facilitated things, it's also, it's killed a bit of the magic and the naivety of the world. You know what I mean? Before we had all this digital stuff, I mean, I had to go and find an ex-brethren that was into what I was into. And out of that dynamic, these subcultures would emerge. But now you can have your own kind of personal subculture via your laptop. But it ain't quite as sexy, is it? It's not quite the same. It's like people got playlists on their laptops. Look at my playlist. I'm like, nah. But get out my records and you can flick through the sleeves. It's much more, what is it? It's tangible. You yeah. know what I mean? I think there's definitely technology has made subcultures, it should have made them more possible. And sometimes it does mean you can find people like far away, like my little sister finds people far away here into what ah, she's into. Yeah. But at the same time, so many places are closed now. Like, where do you go like when you like the same thing as other people? Where For do you go to experience. speak to them? Or where do you, even like what nights are there? And then you do have stuff like there is stuff of young people like putting stuff on. But then so many times it just gets shut down so quickly. It's done. It's yeah. taken away from and you before thing, you can even get into it. And the other thing, the other problem I think in the 21st century is there's so much of everything that nothing means anything. Do you know what I mean? Because there's a lot of great artists there and they just don't get heard because there's just too much stuff. And I don't know what the answer is to that. You know, remember, it is some kind of cultural censorship whereby you've got to justify your space beyond ego and makeup. You know, just, you know, the whole fame and celebrity thing. You know, people that are into that, nah, nah, nah. You know, move to the back of the queue. People that want to push things forward and make the world a better place, open the door, mm. you know? Before, it's like, you go to a magazine, you open a magazine. Cool, I do not exist in this magazine. Hair tips, cool. <laughs> These aren't for me. I'm going to break the comb that I need to buy. But then now I think there is, it's quite interesting, especially in like London, in this, like the girls around me, you kind of see more like, okay, cool. We'll make our own content. We'll make our own like online zines. But you've always had them as well. It's just like in a physical way. And I, I was going to say, you know, all this stuff about the digital age and the web might sound like I'm down on it, but luckily mm. I get to travel around the world. And there are a lot of young people that are kind of making the most of what's available to them. Yeah. Because ultimately I'm an optimist. You know, I've got to believe in the idea of subcultures of Finnish is ridiculous. They just don't look like they used to. And don't get me wrong, I like the way that they had a look and an identity. <laughs> well, I always thought I would, I would always hope I would like get out of these books and like Teddy Boys and everything. I'd be like, one day I want to be in a subculture like this. And then when it got to one day, I was like, I guess it's going to be different for me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I tell you the truth is, imagine walking around in the 21st century with 20 other people that look like you're all listening to the same music. It would be kind of lame now, do you know what I mean? I think those subcultures were definitely born of more innocent and naive times. And also, you know, I've got a 16-year-old daughter and you realise that they're faced with so many more problems that maybe it's, it might be more important that they they get their head together than their hairstyle. It's kind of this thing where sometimes I think it's really easy for us to get really absorbed by it and be like fuck like trump fuck like this and you're like every generation but at some point every generation has to kick back and i think that's kind of what we're waiting for interesting you said that because i say that kickback is well late like yeah. 17 years late <laughs> You're listening to Joining the Dots, brought to you by Spaces in Between, in association with Size.
One of the big problems we face in the 21st century is about the aspirations of people themselves. I mean, when we were getting into music, it was kind of an anti-establishment kind of thing. But now in the 21st century, it seems <clears throat> a lot of people get into it because they want to be part of the establishment. They want to walk on a red carpet. They want to be on MTV. And I think that if that be your value, I'm wondering how creative or how rebellious you can be. Then you're always going to play by the rules to get to the end goal. I'm glad you mentioned rules. I think really the key to success in the 21st century is to make your own rules and have new values. If you want all that shit, you ain't gonna go nowhere. The minute you say, you know what, fuck that, I don't want that, I'm gonna do my own thing, like you, then the world becomes a really exciting place. It's really hard to remember that, because sometimes I'd be like, no, if I do this and I do that, and I'm really good about this, then this will happen. And then at some point I was like, your world is gray. Like you've, my world used to be Technicolor, and now it's gray. Like how do I turn it back into something where I, because I remember just reading like books or reading interviews by people and being like, fuck, like just that one interview is like, flip my way of thinking so much. I want to try it out, I want to see what happens. And then as soon as I re-engaged with like that version of myself, everything became exciting and I was engaging with people because I think now it's almost like you do need to actually work with people to find your subculture because it's like you work with your DOP and you bond because you both love film. And that's like the point where it kicks off. Every individual knows their part within the relationship, but they're all working towards one vision, a bigger vision. Yeah. And no one's intimidated, but you know, the sound man doesn't feel bad because he's a sound man. He knows that his shit's valued. The design, you know, the set designer's valued. And it is a great example of when that thing's working together in harmony, you know, working towards one common goal. It's a great life and creative example. Yeah, it's almost like individuality is one thing, but it's like the individual, it's like you have to do everything. And it's like, well, actually, this director without the eyes of this DOP, that's right. it's different film. And that is and something that should without the acting of this person. I exactly. mean, I tell people that's why they've got Oscars for sound and makeup and lighting and da da da, because everything is valued. And it's that important. It's that, like, I can't... I mean, I take that whole story as a great life example because I think people have got to start looking in the art of all aspects of life. Because I'm sorry to tell everybody, but you can't all be on stage. You know, just like every little girl can't be a ballerina. And yet, there's a lot of things around that man on the microphone, the star that you see, that help to make that happen. And maybe people need to be examining. And I'd go beyond even entertainment and arts. I think people need to see the art in all aspects of life. I think you can be a, a teacher and be an artist. I think you could be a politician. You could be an artist if you had that desire. Yeah. You know. Me, I've had my run and I'm looking to people like Cosima and the youth to really turn me on. And as my brethren Mike Skinner so righteously said, push things forward. Truth is, I don't know what's going on. Because of my age and my social circumstance, all I can really do is kind of skim the surface. That's why I was so glad to meet somebody like Cosima to tell me what's really going on beneath the surface. Because that keeps me vitalized. It keeps me in a creative mode and keeps me engaged with the planet, man. So like I said, I've had my futures come and gone. What have you got going on? I think for me, the most exciting thing is I have the freedom to create and I can use anything I need to to get that done right now. If I wanted to make a video in this evening, I'd, I'd be able to call someone and be like, hey, let's make a video. And I think for me, I just want to carry on with that and I want to keep growing and to grow with everything, but I don't want to lose that part of me, which is like, I can do it by myself. And I think that's the part sometimes you forget. You forget that there is that part of you. But you've proven that time and yeah. time again. It's almost like you years, need really. to like re, it's like you always need to remember because sometimes it's really easy like after two weeks to be like, oh my gosh, without this, without that. And I think, so moving forward, like in the future, I just want to keep doing that and one day be in a position where I can tell the 14 year old version of me, like, it's cool, it's possible, you can do it. Joining the dots, 
a series of podcasts where I meet a generation of people creating culture in their own image. It's a constellation of stories that cuts across time, space, and genres. I'm Don Lex. Joining the Dots is brought to you by Size and Spaces in Between and is made by the creators of Hup Magazine. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Thank you for downloading Joining the Dots. Joining the Dots is brought to you by Spaces in Between in association with Size and TCO London. That's tcolondon.com. Pick up your copy of the beautiful Spaces in Between magazine in your local Size store. That's 100 pages of print goodness. Subscribe to Joining the Dots at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Joining the Dots was hosted by John Letts. Michael Fordham is the producer and editor. Sound recording and design was by Rob Taliesin-Owen.